In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive, and this is our 2021 Critics Pick show. Uh, three segments today. Uh, segment one will find Catherine, Blake, and Edward talking about their uh, picks for best moment and uh, w- talking at length about one of their picks for best uh, show or experience of the year. Uh, Everyone got uh, up to three slots this time out. Uh, Segment two, uh, same action, just a different crew. You're going to find Kevin, Laura, Leah, and Patrick. And then at the very end, you get me. Uh, Before we dive into all that, just want to give a big thank you to our sustaining backers, the folks who keep us going uh, all year round. Uh, all of our Patreon backers help out, uh, and we need more of you, of course, uh, patreon.com slash no proscenium, but there's a group of you, uh, who are just, you know, in it every month, uh, in a big way. And they are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. Uh, 2021 has not been the easiest of years in any way, shape, or form, and uh, that you've been here to support us in what we do means more than you maybe realize. All right, let's get into it. Well, here we are again, or maybe for the first time, we haven't recorded the opening yet. Uh, this segment of <laughs> our <laughs> this segment of our Critics Picks 2021 show, look, I just named the show, uh, is brought to you by, uh, we're going to start with Catherine. Hello. And this then, is Catherine Yu. Yes. And then Ed. Hi, this is Ed Milchrist. And that leaves... Hi there, everyone. This is Blake Weil. You'd you'd think I'd I'd have a better method of doing this after all this time, but nope, nope. No, I, I in fact uh, do not have a better method of doing this after all this time. So, um, here's how this is going to go, uh, which I may have told everyone already, but just in case I haven't, uh, just a it's quick, the final countdown. Just, just a quick reminder: we're going to do two rounds in here. The first is going to be about. Uh, Blake, Ed, and Catherine's in that order's their their favorite immersive moments of 2021, uh, singular moment, uh, just plural because it's three of them, uh, and then we're gonna go Catherine, Ed, and Blake talking about one of their critics' picks. Uh, we will disclose all three, but uh, they will wax poetic about one of them. Before the show, we drew virtual straws, i.e. I just told everyone what was going to happen. <laughs> Blake, <laughs> you drew the first position for moments. Uh, uh, what was your uh, what was your your pick for immersive moment here in, in 2021? So... Uh... I'm actually going to go a little off script here because as we were, we were waiting to start, I remembered 
a moment that I was debating between two, and one of them, as we were starting up, just took precedence, and that is the grand finale of the spectacular Dragon Butter by Brian Sanders Junk Productions. Uh, I love a Brian Sanders show. It's always something wacky and intense and a little bit sexy and a little bit strange. And Dragon Butter was no exception. I really dug it. It, a story of a mad scientist and the odd creations that he made that combined video game mechanics with incredibly hyper-talented modern dance. And so how are we going to have a finale to this show with anything but a boss battle? And this is something I am willing to spoil because the venue is going to be torn down to replace to be replaced with condos. So uh, no, I don't believe we're going to get... No! Well, I will say this in the show's favor. I mean, that did get worked into the plot. It was in part a commentary on the neighborhood's gentrification. But that's neither here nor there. What the point is, is the moment, and that is this final boss battle. The music pumps up, we all get shuttled back to the start of the experience, and armed with Nerf guns, huge arsenals of beanbags, or in my case, a 20-shot paintball gun, and then ushered into a grand final room, at which point... A dancer on an enormous harness, swinging from the ceiling, growling in wings as the titular dragon butter, a dragon butterfly hybrid monster, is attacking our intrepid crew of scientists attempting to escape the facility, and we're all invited to just take shots at them in the middle of this dance. This was really impactful to me, not just because it was one of these only in immersive moments where it felt like the boundaries and rules of theater kind of collapsed on themselves and you got to view something from an incredibly unexpected angle. But also this was my first live show as the pandemic had, if not waned, gotten a little bit more manageable. And so this incredibly sort of bombastic return to form really stood out to me. It was really something special that really just kind of reminded me of what I had been missing during the exclusively virtual period. And also reminded me that even with social distancing, even with sort of the at least temporary death of you know, the intimate one-on-one where you're going to get locked in a closet face-to-face with an actor. There are still so many interesting things that the forum can do to promote engagement. And that was all there in this peculiar little microcosm as I took pot shots at a dancer while they were clawing at another one. That whole that whole thing you said about, you know, being special because it was like the first thing coming back like i i definitely know what you mean i even think like i'm gonna find myself being very fond of the shows that i saw that recaptured that magic probably you this year for ages to come like i'll I'll always remember you know certain things I, i'll talk about those when i do my 
segment of the show. But I, I feel like that's such a that's such an important point. And on, and on the one hand, it's it feels a little it feels a little obvious to those of us on the inside. I think, well, of course. But I think there's something important about, you know, just that discovery that, oh, we can do this again. And even that maybe we can do it, it may be different, but it still has that that special something. For sure. And I definitely I definitely see myself going back to that moment in a show that for however much I loved it, you know, I'll admit it's a fluffy kind of frivolous show. Uh, Brian Sanders junk tends to make confections more than they make uh, maybe meteor entrees. But this moment is always going to be a gem for me because of that. And the context with in which it landed in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great note to kick us off on. So thank you for that, Blake. And and just um, a reminder of what town uh, Brian Sanders' company is operating out of. For sure. Brian Sanders' junk is operating out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So if you are in the lovely Philadelphia area, come on down and see something a little bit weird, a little bit sexy, and a whole lot fun. All right. Moving uh, up the East Coast uh, to where Ed hangs his hat. Ed, what do you have for us? Well, I'm based in uh, New York City. And uh, this year, uh, going on from what we've just been talking about, seeing shows come back, uh, one company in particular uh, wanted to honor what has happened over the past year. And that was um, the company Deaf of Classical. And that's a company here in New York, which uh, tries to do classical music, but portrayed in uh, new areas, in unusual spaces, uh, typically found in uh, cemeteries around the city. It's quite uh, quite unusual. Now, in my, my day job, I'm a music teacher, so I do have a, already a bit of an inclination to the group. Uh, but this year, they produced a piece called Hymn to the City, uh, which was dedicated to the memory of all those uh, who we lost over the past year, but also as a message uh, of hope for those of us who are uh, continuing. There were sections which were to do with the first responders, sections to do with uh, the people who have come to New York, the people who have gone uh, before us. Uh, quite a moving piece. So uh, quite different to Blake's, but um, in a similar vein, uh, taking what's happened over the past gosh, 18 months, two years, wherever we're up to now. And using that and reflecting on that uh, was really quite special. Uh, but for me, there was one uh, real highlight, one moment, which I, uh, which I picked, um, which was standing on top of a hill uh, in Greenwood Cemetery. So it's a national landmark in Brooklyn. It's a huge, huge uh, space. And many famous people are buried there. People have been through uh, been through these uh, these gates. But we're stood by the graveside of uh, Leonard Bernstein, um, the fantastic composer, famous conductor of the New York Philharmonic, uh, the musical director for many years. We're standing by his graveside, and there's a quintet of brass players from the New York Philharmonic, some of the best brass players in the world, um, and they are there performing uh, excerpts and. Uh, pieces from West Side Story. Now, for a musical theater kid, this is already amazing. But the fact that this is taking place next to Bernstein 
all the while we're looking out over this incredible sunset, uh, which is just going down over the skyline of Manhattan. Literally, you, you look a, a, around you and Manhattan is there. You can see all the skyscrapers in the distance. You can see the Statue of Liberty. And it was just one of those moments that just genuinely took my breath away. It was stunning. It was like a picture. It's one of those moments which just like imprinted on my heart. Um, as a classical theater geek, it was beautiful. Uh, but as an immersive fan, it was wonderful to be able to share this moment with other people uh, in a situation which we haven't been able to do for so long. Um, but listening to the music and this celebration of somewhere and there's a place for us and knowing that like right here, right now, New York City, coming back, there is a place for us and there's a decision there. And of course, this, uh, this moment has become even more poignant since the passing of uh, Stephen Sondheim uh, just last month. Um, so it was a really special moment uh, and just one which just took my breath away. So that's why that's why I picked it. That was Greenwood Cemetery, right, Ed? Yes, Greenwood Cemetery. Oh, fantastic, fantastic location. Wow. It, one of the places I definitely miss. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They always have the coolest programming. No, it. I really get where you're coming from there. I just did, you know, one of my first visits to the city in a while this past weekend and having sort of that flood of memories come back of sort of the way things perhaps felt before all this got started that it sounds so moving to have that sort of reminder and monument that no, that spirit's going to come back and there is that sort of eternal ineffable spirit to the city and We've been uh, through bad times, and we're going to get through this time. Absolutely. Uh, once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker, Catherine. Um, oh, thanks. It, 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 honestly, it was great to share in this moment, and engaging with people who weren't engaged with classical music before were taking part and watching amazing violinists and amazing musicians from all the whole thing was done by the New York Philharmonic. So there was absolutely like a sense of pride and like, this is home, home court. Even for me, I have an accent. I'm not from New York, but New York is home now. Um, and it was beautiful just to share in that moment with uh, all these other people. So yeah, it was, it was very special. All right, Catherine, it's uh it's your oh, turn. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely going to take a turn. Uh, perhaps mine's a little bit more frivolous than uh, than Ed's was, but um, finally made it back to Galaxy's Edge earlier this year, having not been in the parks for a good, like, 16 months or so. I also want to point and, out to everybody, I'm not the one who brought it up. <laughs> and I finally got on Rise of the Resistance. I had tried a couple times in February of 2020, and then... Uh, finally hit the jackpot in June. And, you know, the moment that really resonated with me, the thing that like really struck me, maybe only lasted 30 seconds, 60 seconds tops. But there's this location during the experience that I think everyone has seen on social media where there's all these stormtroopers and you're getting like captured by the First Order and it's all part of the story. And I was really paying attention to these two little boys next to me. And when one of the cast members kind of gently scolded them for like not paying attention, not standing where they were supposed to be, and their eyes got as wide as saucers and they realized that they were the center of attention and someone from the First Order was yelling at them. And like this was happening to them specifically, they were being singled out. Like, 
you know, it's it's a, it's a very cute moment, and all the adults around are kind of snickering, and then they start to get in trouble. And oh no, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand where they tell me. I'm not. Everyone look straight ahead. Don't look to the side. Don't look at the people you're with. And I just like later, thinking about this, I'm like, do you know what they're gonna talk about in the back seat of the minivan on the way home? Six months from now, they're gonna be like, remember that time we got yelled at during Rise of the Resistance when we went to Disneyland and. You know, I've, I've taken classes with retired Imagineers and they talk about how for a lot of people, a Disney theme park trip happens twice in their lifetime, once when they're a child and the second time when they get to bring their children to try to share in like that kind of magical immersive moment. And I just, I, I would really like to, you know, talk to them or something in like a couple of years because I feel as if having that tiny bit of attention and having that person be in character and interact with you, that's going to stay with them for a really long time. And so it's so brief, like it's a really fleeting moment, but I don't know, it just, it stood out as so special to me. And like, what a testament to the cast and crew um, of all productions, um, not just the amazing Disney uh, cast and uh, crew members, uh, cast members, whatever they're called in the, Dis- in the Disney world. Um, but those small touches, like that's the stuff which, and, and we've all seen it, we've all done immersive shows and we've all maybe got a, got a little um, jaded over the years, having done so many perhaps, but those moments of like genuine interaction, it's it's beautiful to see. And like, it's out of the mouth of babes, right? It's just amazing to see that happen for children, but it happens to the best of us. We've all been in those shows where someone actually takes that moment to like glance or, or to say something and you feel engaged and yeah. what a beautiful testament to what immersive theater can do. I mean, it's funny because like it, it doesn't take much, right? You know, it's these are the grace notes, but my goodness, they're powerful. I still tell all my immersive theater friends about the weird shrug Mallory Graysonen gave me at Sleep No More once. You know, it's it's the absolute tiniest things that stick with you the most. And it's so cool seeing that happen to someone else in real time. Mm. Yeah. Well, as we decided, Catherine, you're going to go ahead and uh, hold the mic at the moment and uh, break out your your three picks and uh, wax poetic on one of them. Oh, gosh. All right. So I guess I have to go first. <laughs> so my huh, top three most memorable shows and experiences of the year were The Invisible, a VR experience by Darkfield. Le Bal de Paris, uh, also a VR experience by Blanca Lee, which I'll dig into in a second. And The Program, which was a telephonic experience by the San Francisco neo-futurists. So those were the three that really stood out to me this year. So tell us about, because I remember you describing the, the I've already forgotten how to say because it's, like it's <laughs> French, right? The Blanca Lee, what Yes, the Bal de Paris. Bal um, de Paris. Le Bal which, de Paris. Yes, which was a location-based, multi-person, multi-dancer experience that their team created a solo player, uh, digital remote version of. And actually, I just checked their website. They've brought back the location-based one. So if you're in France, Ooh. you can actually go see this. Um, but, oh, you know, uh, I hate to be like Stefan, but it 
it literally has everything. <laughs> um, the ball gowns are by Chanel. Everyone is wearing a kind of gold metallic animal mask in virtual reality. There is dancing and there is music and there are gardens and nightclubs and also a uh, synchronized swimming kind of musical number. It's very Ethel Merman at sometimes. Uh, you get on a boat at one point for that. You get on a train at some other time. There's dancing in a garden. It's very Alice in Wonderland. It's, it is actually like a, this whole 40 minute story. You are a guest who's been invited into this celebration, this gala, and the parents of this young woman are holding it because she's come back from her travels from far away. But, you know, um, there's always a wrinkle here. The The man that she left behind is kind of sore. And it's like, why did you leave me? You're tra you went and you traveled the world. Well, now I'm back. And it's, you know, it's this whole like, will they, won't they, will they get back together? Maybe she'll find another suitor. How have her travels changed her? And it's all done in these lavish sets. Um, you really feel like you're inside a Baz Luhrmann musical. And I was just enchanted by the level of attention to detail in terms of the ball gowns and the fact that you saw these like non-player characters all around you. At one point, I thought to myself, well, there must be like 100 people dancing above me below me you know they really used um that kind of like sense of verticality in virtual virtual reality to um good effect uh and the world is fanciful and surreal and it it really leans on that sense of like i'm in a dark ride i feel overwhelmed in the way that i feel for example when i go to sleep no more and i just found myself swept away in this world as we went through the story and then ended up at you know like moulin rouge for the last 10 minutes nice nice very nice it it's oh go court oh i was just going to confess that i um there is a slim chance that uh when i'm headed to europe in <laughs> Uh, June that I might spend a couple days in Paris, and I just wanted to say you've sold me! Congratulations! I'm Googling <laughs> tickets immediately after All right. this. Well, if you don't know how to do ballroom dancing in real life, I think they actually try to teach you, so because the dancers are in the same physical space as everyone who's in a headset in the location-based version. And, oh, if you do go, we definitely need a report back. I will do my absolute darndest. Catherine, Bring your you, best Chanel. <laughs> Catherine, could you expand on that a little? I mean, for, as someone who's not as in, plugged into the VR world as you are, um, other than the audio and visual, what sort of interaction uh, do, you, do you have with the, with the piece? It's definitely a lot more like Sleep No More in that there's action happening around you and you're more of an observer. Um, but if I recall correctly, uh, you know, they do greet you as a guest at the beginning and they're so glad that you're here and you get to kind of pick out like your avatar from this gallery of different gowns and suits. So it's a little lower on the interactivity side, but in terms of just the sets and the environment, um, you know, they crank that up to a I love the idea of like recreating a sort of massively so like like the correct me if I'm wrong but like the the IRL one is meant for like multiple people to like be in at the same time right or is it still a solo piece 
there's multiple players and right. multiple dancers all together. <laughs> yes. So I love I love that the VR version, like they add like extra character, like NPCs, as it were, to like create that effect. Right. Like there's something, and I just love this whole idea of there being like a digital reflection of a physical show, or in some ways, like vice versa. Right. Like since the beginning of all of this, and by that I mean since like before Facebook bought Oculus, uh, or even the weekend they were buying it, actually, uh, I've been obsessed with the idea that if we're going to have VR, that that this uh, that this stuff is both, um, you know, there's theater pieces, there are these grand adventures, and then there's digital versions of them, so that people who can't go to the McKittrick or who can't go to Paris can you know, put the headset on and at least get a version of it. And also it becomes something that can be extended anywhere. And probably much like, you know, listening to an album over and over again doesn't make you not want to go to the concert. Quite the opposite. Um, I think that that's lovely that there's independent artists who are basically doing exactly that. Can I just jump on that further? Because we've seen over the last year, so many companies have moved to this online space and all that's done is increase accessibility on of every sense. It means that people who are international can go and enjoy this. It means that people who have disabilities are able to enjoy shows they aren't, aren't before. Um, I mean, it's not perfect and it's definitely something which creators have to be aware of. It's not, you can't just slap a online version of a show together and expect it to work. But those companies that make it actually put the effort and the time in it's so important and like you say it, it's it offers so much um great opportunity for accessibility to these pieces yeah it's absolutely very exciting to see what's happened the past year two years uh, and see that as we're moving forward like we don't need to forget these lessons these amazing things that we've done uh just because we're able to get back in person well while you have the mic unless Catherine wanted to jump in real quick no, let's uh, let's make Ed talk to us about his picks. <laughs> so, Ed, what are, what are the yeah? What are the three hitting the hitting in the guide, and then uh, and then we'll select one out for you to talk about. Well, having just said about online experiences, all three of these were in-person experiences, <laughs> <laughs> and all three of these took place uh, here in New York. Uh, the first one was uh, the show The Grown Ups uh, by Night Drive. Um, the short summary is that it's a uh, post-apocalyptic world uh, happening in real time around a campfire, and you're uh, one of a, uh, a select group around the campfire at a kid's camp somewhere, and the world is gradually falling apart, and the uh, poor camp counselors are trying to keep it uh keep the world at least the camp world uh, slightly sane so that was an amazing piece uh, taking place in brooklyn very funny very witty uh, great piece by them uh the next uh pick of mine was uh the show the show endure which is a run woman show that is correct a run woman show uh which was all about uh, uh following a runner on a a journey of um, training for a marathon uh, taking place in Central Park. Uh, you followed this anonymous runner, and as you did so, you had uh, headphones and you were listening to her journey uh, as you ran around the park. It was such a beautiful tale. It had lots of elements to it, and it went quite uh, deep and dark at times. Um, why is she running? What is she running away from? What is she running to? 
all those sort of questions. Um, but really a, a one-woman show, um, a show that's been in development for 10 years with different iterations all around the world. Uh, and this one, which took place in um, Central Park, really knocked out of the park uh, for me. Uh, truly a, an excellent piece. So that was my, uh, my second pick. Uh, but my other pick, which I'm going to talk about to you now, is the show Bottom of the Ocean. Now, this is a show which has opened officially uh, just uh, fairly recently, just the last month or two. Uh, another show which, which has been in development for a long time. Uh, but this show is by, uh, from the brain of Andrew Hüfter, who is an amazing immersive creator here in New York City. Uh, he was uh, the creator behind the show Houseworld a few years ago and is one half of the team behind uh, Whisper Lodge, uh, which many people will know and have heard of, uh, bringing ASMR uh, to a whole, whole uh, audience uh, over the past few years. But Bottom of the Ocean uh, is a show taking place in a brand new space, uh, which Andrew has uh, created and curated himself, taking place underneath a church. Uh, he's cleared out this basement and turned it into a gymnopédie, which is an amazing space, which is uh, he has made and tailored for his own immersive creations. Um, and this show, Bottom of the Ocean, is real, really a labor of love, um, but is a magnificent transformative piece. Um, one of those ones which you came away from um, feeling like you've walked out of, out of a dream. How much of that had been real? Can I believe what I just experienced? Um, the overall summary is that it is a, a quiet piece about self-reflection whilst exploring the bottom of the ocean. Uh, you're greeted by different characters, all in incredible costumes, who ask questions of, of you and to you uh, about death, about afterlife, about meaning, about what the world is. Um, it's a gentle piece, and there's uh, ASMR elements, there's self-reflective elements, there's so much beautiful music and singing. Um, there's a sound bath at the end, which is um, just beautiful, um, amazing sounds taking place all around you. Um, all the while, you're dressed up as one of these creatures uh, invited to, to uh, explore the bottom of, of the ocean. Um, and like I say, truly a transformative piece. Um, it's very hard to describe uh, without it sounding completely <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Had you done... Had you done Whisper Lodge, which he co-created with Linda Lau, or House World, which was his show before this? The no, I hadn't. Neither of them. Oh, wow. Um, I, I really wish uh, that I had. I'd, I've heard great things about the two. Uh, I was once able to send um, my wife to, to Whisper Lodge, and she loved it. But this was actually the first time I've, I've had a chance to experience the work. Um, and like I say, really, truly, truly stunning. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's... Please. Andrew's one of those um, those those creators who's like really helped define aspects of the movement, right? Um, Zay saw Houseworld ages ago and, and like fell in love with it. And I think like the second time I came to New York and um, when I when I went back to Then She Fell, um, uh, gosh, and like did I do did I do yeah. Wow, I'm just I'm just remembering that I, I did a trip where I went to Then She Fell, and I went to Grand Paradise twice, and I went to Sleep No More. <laughs> I, did, wow. I did all of that. Yeah. I was like, I did go back on that, and that second time, uh, and Andrew Andrew was along, uh, Andrew and his and his partner were along uh, for, on that run with me, and um, he's a great guy, and he I, I 
had worried that after Houseworld, he was never going to find a space ever again. So the fact that, uh, how did you pronounce it? Because I've been, I've been saying it wrong this entire time. How do you pronounce Jim, Jim No? Oh, well, I say Gymnopedy. Gymnopedy. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that, that's what I'm, I'm putting my money on. Okay, uh, cool. Andrew, <laughs> correct us later. <laughs> Um, I, I keep on going gymnopede, <laughs> like like I'm some kind of coach. Hey, coach. Hey, coach, sorry. go down to the gymnopede and get me something. It really <laughs> is an amazing space. And the story, if you ever, anyone has a chance to chat to Andrew, uh, he can tell it much better. But it really is a case of he was working in the church as an organist. That was what he was doing as a day job. He decided to explore the basement just to see what was down there. And it was a mess. It was full of all sorts of rats and asbestos and all that terrible stuff and he took the time and effort over several several years now uh, to mm-hmm. clean it up to empty it out with lots of help from some amazing friends i i know uh, like i'm sure just ended up cleaning all the the refuse out with him i remember oh, absolutely <laughs> and now this space is incredible and it's all his he's able to use it from a business side of things andrew has done an amazing job because he's able to use the space and rent it out to uh documentaries and films and photo shoots because it's such an unusual and beautiful space mm. um I would highly recommend it. Music just, videos oh, use that so wall of many. televisions now. <laughs> oh, it, it's just stunning. If you haven't seen pictures of the space, um, I know Gymnopedy or Gymnopedy or whatever <laughs> Noah wants to call it. It's, uh, on it's, on, it's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. Um, just an incredible space. But even seeing those photos just doesn't give you quite the impression of being in the space. And when it's the space is being used specifically for for what it was designed for, it's just incredible. It honestly just feels. Yeah, Unlike anything make, else. That makes a lot of sense because I saw a test version of House uh, of this show, Bottom of the Ocean, in Andrew's apartment in spring 2019. So he literally has designed the space to fit what his vision is. That's what I'm assuming. Absolutely. And I know that he's still tweaking. He's still working on it. Um, again, this is someone, uh, one of those creators who is taking time to make the work and make the work exactly what he wants it to be. Uh, as far as working with, he has an amazing cast of people. He has an amazing uh, group around him helping him. But honestly, it's just a fantastic piece. Anybody who's in New York, uh, you try to get tickets if you're visiting. It's booking right now all the way through to March of 2022, I believe. Already I making it's next to impossible to get a ticket right now. I've been fighting for weeks. So, you know, um, perhaps so... our audience has luckier fingers than I do. I hope so, but I'm, I'm so that. pleased. Like, I'm so pleased for the team because so often here in New York, particularly, immersive shows are like a flash in a pan thing. People put hours and, and years into making a piece and it runs for a week or two weeks. Um, just because of the way the system works here in New York, it's so easy for shows to open and close uh, before you even know about it. So the fact yeah. that here he has a show which has legs and is working is just beautiful. So if has, you can, has legs, do. is working, is from a creator with a track record uh, at a time when other shows that had legs and were working, unfortunately, aren't around anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just it is, and even though like, yeah, intimate and small scale, you know, uh, there, this, this is that model of immersive experience, immersive theater that, that is a little bit more like fine dining, right? Like I think of like the French laundry mm. in, which I've never been to and maybe I don't even necessarily want to go to, although I do want to take uh, Thomas Keller's masterclass on masterclass, <laughs> but, but like, it's necessary to have 
that tier because all of the learnings and insights and craft mm-hmm. can trickle down. There's that. And like the process on that was always, and I remember the first time hearing about it and being like, you do what? Just simply being told, yes, you call three months to the day and you must call them. Uh, and this was like, this is maybe like circa like 1999. So I was like, you mean I can't like, they don't take an email. Okay. Well, I guess they're not, they're not hip, but like, yeah, you would have to call exactly three months to the day. And if you didn't call that day and get through, you were not getting that. Uh, you weren't getting that reservation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that was that was the mode and the way, uh, and so there's there's something to exactly to Catherine's point. There's something to that tier. I'll tell you. I remember one of the best desserts I ever had was from someone who had been the pastry chef and the dessert chef at the French Laundry and was at a different restaurant. And I was at that restaurant. It was just amazing. It was just one of the most amazing things I've ever eaten. And you know they had gone through that program. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully more artists will be going through Andrew's program. Blake, now that I've gone food references, bring it <laughs> to you. Uh, t- take us home, and maybe <laughs> I know I know what's coming. So what? Let's, uh... <laughs> See, no. Now I'm just crushed that I, in this year of mostly distant shows, I didn't get a lot to eat at the shows I've been to. You know mm. I love a good edible component to an immersive mm. show. But no, here are three shows that I did love that I will dive in on. Um, so the first show on my list of top choices was Escape from the Science Lab of Shifting Rules by Scrap, which was probably the mo- one of the most innovative escape rooms up there with Pursuit of the Assassin Artist that I have ever done. One of these things that takes a remote escape and does things that could only be done remotely. It is a really clever magic trick of a show uh, that I highly recommend to anyone interested in the form. Artifacts of No Consequence is my next show, which was a Philadelphia-based meditation, I guess I would say, on how the pandemic has affected us all and what aftershocks we're feeling and what memories we come back to during this time of crisis that I have gone on about at length. And so I will spare you all my gushing praise for it again this evening. And then finally, a show that I have also effusively talked about, but has just stuck with me all year of some of the most fun I have had online and that is Obaken's If Musibia, Escaping from a... Ki- what, what's the exact subtitle? Escaping from a Killer in the Dark? And that is exactly what it says on the tin and what I'm going to talk about in detail. So Obaken does what they call haunted, just haunted houses uh, live in Japan. But of course, you know, when everything's going remote and online for the pandemic, they gamely transitioned online. And if Musibia, hiding in the dark, escaping from the killer. Great <laughs> I love title. the title. It's such a great title. It gives me such like 70s J-horror energy. It's spectacular. The whole show starts as a house tour over Zoom uh, that is being delivered as one of these remote cultural experiences uh, that 
had a moment during the pandemic. And then bit by bit, uh, the two girls giving you the house tour realize, oh no, there is a serial killer squatting in this house and he's locked the doors behind us. And so you have to guide one of them as they try to free their friend and escape the killer's lair. And so what you entered thinking of as a haunted house actually feels something closer to an escape room, but the escape isn't the point. The game is next to impossible, but that spark of hope by the fact that you could win, you could get them to escape, it really elevates it into this sort of batty horror fantasy. It is, for everyone who wants to live out there, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Memories, this is the show for you. And what really elevates it from just kind of, wow, it was this fun, batty J-horror show, is the direction, the cinematography, and the pacing. I actually did it twice with two very different groups. Uh, okay, okay, rub, I'll rub our nose in the fact that we let... No. <laughs> and... Both groups approached it with a totally different attitude, totally different pacing, and they accommodated it perfectly so that win or lose, it came down to the wire. The cinematography, spot on. I actually, having won once and lost once, have to say I prefer the lose condition. It ends with such a spectacularly shot bizarre scene that seamlessly transitions from live video to pre-recorded video. Yeah, it was freaky. I I haven't seen a remote horror show that made me actually scared and tense to nearly the same degree that full name always if Musibia hiding in the dark escaping from the killer brought to me. I I just dug the hell out of this show. It was so much fun. And every year I like to give at least one. Uh, I think for the past two years I've called it the Wii Award. And this is this year's Wii Award winner. Uh, <laughs> it's just so much fun. The um, When you mentioned it in the, in the group Slack, like today, you were like, this felt like it was like a century ago, right? Like, like it's been such a long year, and I was like, "Oh, right, if Musibia uh, is was totally this year." And just as everything you said is spot on, right? Like it, it feels like an interactive J horror movie more than it, it's 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 more of an interactive movie, I think, than almost anything I've ever seen in this space, and um. Just that ending was amazing, and just just every little bit bit and beat is just just exquisite, absolutely. Exquisite. I haven't even gushed about the set design yet. They managed to. It's literally just a suburban house in Tokyo. I recognize the neighborhood from when I studied abroad there. There were randos wandering into the early scene, establishing shots. Uh, at the start of the experience, they turned this into the creepiest, like, slaughterhouse, abandoned, spooky murder lair. Uh, 
perfect layers of grime. Uh, they have an old CRTV that they have a snuff film that they recorded, a fake snuff film, I should clarify. Yes. That you <laughs> Slightly important. Then, Slightly important. <laughs> that you are then watching oh, man. through the live camera on this grainy TV. And so the quality is so perfectly choreographed to be lousy that you have to squint and try to make out as you're still getting this perfect sound quality of the screams of the victims and the scraping of the knives against the floor. Oh, just perfect. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that is a lovely spot for us to leave this segment of our critics picks 2021 show on. Uh, I want to thank all of you for just for just being with us this year. Um, Blake, Ed, Catherine, uh, thanks for making everything we do possible. And thanks for putting a spotlight on all this incredible work. Well, thank you so much for having us tonight. It's honestly been one of my big pleasures all year just to get to share all these cool things with you and with all the no pro listeners and readers out there. And here is to even more cool stuff in 2022. Yeah. Thanks right so much. Noah. Thank you, Catherine. All, right. thank you to all of the creators as well. I mean, that's the thing that we, we're so fortunate. We get to see the stuff. We get to review it. We get to say and share some of our thoughts and opinions on it. But there's so many people who created so much work this year, even in this, crazy heck of a year uh, to see so much excellent work out there uh, these, I, I'm sure we'll all agree these are just some of the picks out of the many that we could have done so many excellent excellent shows this year so congratulations to all of the creators anybody who created a show this year um, good luck with uh, the next year we can't wait to see what else you have in store And we're back for the second half of this year's No Pro Critics Picks, uh, this time out. And they they know what order they're starting in. So here's a little test. I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves in the order that they're going to appear, starting with... LA Reviews Editor, Kevin Gossett. And then... (laughs) The LA Arts Editor, Laura Hess. Patrick McLean, the Chicago Curator. (laughs) And I'm Leah Davis. Uh, the New England correspondent. They're all they're all made up titles, so you know it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Noah. That's something that. Hey, I made I made a nice title for you. So, um, okay, so uh, like we did in the first segment, we're gonna run through everybody's moments, and then we're gonna whip around and reveal people's shows, and then everyone's gonna talk about one of those shows. So, uh, we during the intense negotiations beforehand, Kevin, you got the ball to start us off, and thus, of course, also finish the game. And funny you should mention ball because my moment comes from Blazeball, a show that I will incessantly talk about on any podcast that I end up on. So the moment came near the end of season 24, which was the end of kind of Blazeball's beta era or the expansion era and their beta test, essentially. So they um, normally it was a, an absurd cosmic horror Blazeball simulator. By the end, it turned into a uh, rotating map where various teams guided their 
their kind of spaceships across the immaterial plane to escape from an exploding sun that then collapsed into a black hole. And it was this this sequence where it was like everyone came together to they acquired these these objects and things to help them bet and earn money over the course of the expansion era. And they now had to throw those things into their spaceships to fuel them away from the black hole. And it was this moment where everyone, all these teams came together and you could help and donate to other teams to make sure they had fuel to escape. It was kind of this, this wonderfully weird thing as everyone flew away and tried to, to get away. And it was like, it really brought everyone together and just like a very cool moment. Um, and it's one of kind of, it stuck with me all years away the kind of like you can bridge this this thing between immersives and ARGs and and video games into into something like this that turns into a wider experience for a group as a whole and I think that's kind of it felt immersive it felt like part of something to to try and make all of this happen and it was it was great it was cool um, and that's my moment of the year so it it took this thing that had been this competitive play and turned it into a big cooperative moment. Yeah, essentially. And that's, I think that's what made it work so well is it turned everything on its head and it, it played really well with kind of the, the themes that Blazeball had been dealing with until that point And then like really just like executed on like those themes and like finishing out the, the season that way. Awesome. Laura, what was, what was your moment in 2021? Sure. My moment was from an installation art show at the USC Pacific Asia Museum in Pasadena, California. And the show is entitled Divine Immersion, the Experiential Art of Nick Dong. And Nick Dong is a Taiwanese-American artist who's based in Oakland, California. And while the entire show was extraordinary, there was a pivotal moment around uh, a sculpture called Heaven. And this was a completely enclosed space. Um, there's definitely overlap with Yayoi Kusama's mirrored infinity rooms. But there were some significant differences. And one of the things that Nick Dong did with this particular show was that um, he very explicitly talked about the, the different sculptures as quests of self-evolution and invited guests to bring all of their chaos to the exhibition, chaos that had resulted from everything we'd been experiencing with the pandemic and its effects. And so there were, because of this particular show and the museum that it was at, even though in some ways I wish there'd been a queue of people lined up waiting to go into this particular installation, I was so grateful that that wasn't the case because what I wound up having was this out of the home, very private and yet otherworldly moment. So there were no restrictions. I could go inside. And so this is a completely enclosed room that's mirrored and uh, there was a center stool and it also had some moving mechanisms and there was a sound design component as well. So it's, in, it's fully immersive and very transportive. And you could truly bring whatever you needed or wanted to bring to the moment. You could allow that to come up, to bubble out. And it felt like a, a complete sense of freedom. And what I cited in my capsule review of the show was that it just felt like a perfectly timed, profound offering of compassion 
on Nick Dong's part. There was just nothing else like it. And I went back multiple times because of that. Patrick? Yeah, my moment comes from uh, Trader. The It is a mystery box from the Deadbolt Mystery Society. And I'm going to cheat a little in the sense that the box itself was a really great offering. Uh, I found the to have a, I found it to have a very engrossing and clever uh, puzzles to it. And I found additionally, as Kevin and I had previously reviewed their copy of Conspiracy, I also found the story in Trader to be very robust and engaging. But what made this the moment for me this year was that I actually took this box home back with me on Thanksgiving because it was so small. It's a very compact, tight little box. It's mostly papers with in this one it was just one kind of knickknack item and i did that because typically on thanksgiving day as the big meat items are cooking in the oven there's a lot of downtime there's a lot of need to pass the day away and i thought this could be a really fun thing for to do with my family and they're also for lack of a better word normal people in the sense that you know, they like to go to movies, they go to theater and things like that. They'll try anything, but they're definitely have never done anything immersive related. And this was kind of going to be a big introduction for a new way of doing things and a new way of storytelling because they haven't even done escape rooms. And my father is a surgeon, my brother is a lawyer, and my sister-in-law is an accountant. And with all that set up, we start doing Trader and we're going through, and because of a food-related illness that it's a funny story we can get into on a review crew, maybe, I had to excuse myself. We basically got through one of the early puzzles, but I'm like, I can't, I, I gotta go lay down. And I came back much later to find out that not only did they finish it without taking a hint, they loved it. This was an amazing time and they were so glad that I brought it back with them. And it really made me think about and something that we kind of talk about consistently and maybe even later in this conversation is about accessibility. And I found that for these quote normal people and quote that have no interaction with immersive experiences at large, were able to just simply engage and finish it and have a good time with little to no instruction. Cause I feel like we, a lot of times we're always talking about like, we need to be emissaries or there always needs to be like someone who makes an introduction to the world of immersive and all things related. But uh, as I said, I think this is just a really great moment of showcasing that I think we're closer than ever. And I think accessibility and engagement with the general public is possibly right around the corner. Well, that's a happy note to 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 end your segment on. Leah, you've got the middle ground, so let's uh, let's start with your moment. Let's. Uh, I loved listening to everyone else's moments because I feel like these are trends that resonated for me as well. Um, my moment is from the fleecing, which is an online version of uh, Almanac Dance Circus Theaters yearly, I want to say holiday-ish show. They do it around around the new year. Uh, so I'm surprised that my moment is coming from a show that really kicked off 2021 for me. Um, and what struck me about this show was that it was, it was a remote show over Zoom. And really, I just think it's the, the peak of that 
form of theater. Uh, they managed to create this rich, multi-layered, weird universe uh, that really drew you in and stood up to exploration. Uh, so everywhere you peeled back the surface, you weren't looking at a veneer of a story. You were digging into websites, you were finding cocktail recipes, all these really mundane little things um, that came together to build itself into this really beautiful, um, well, how, how do I put it? It's a show that's really about the universal experience of the individual. So uh, all this absurd stuff is happening. These characters are all very silly. There's a lot of uh, uh, clowning going on. Uh, at one point, one of the amazingly talented dancers did an interpretive dance about peeing your pants. Um, and and somehow I left this show just feeling so connected to other people. Uh, they did a beautiful thing that asked attendees to sort around and sort themselves into tribes according to the various performers that were that were on for this show. Um, so you found yourself being drawn to the freaks or to the mystics or what have you. Um, and what it gave to me at that moment was a sense of having a home and not just of myself having a home, but everyone who was attending had space to exist. Uh, and my specific moment was a completely absurd little thing. Uh, Yannick Trapman O'Brien was playing the adjudicator. Uh, and he'd asked us all to type in something into the box. Um, just type any letter, Type. Uh, go ahead and type F. And so everyone's typing F into the box and he throws his hands up and he's just completely horrified at us saying, oh, look at you. Now you've ruined everything. You're effing up all over the place. Um, and that's that's how I kicked off my year. So the Fleecing Almanac Dance Circus Theater, that's me. As you as you started talking about the Fleecing and when it was, it like clicked back into my mind. Like, I think I recall your review and maybe even like, maybe talking about on the show at some point. I don't know. Everything Everything's a long blur <laughs> for the past year. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we did excellent on that, on the, the the moments, by the way. So everyone's earned some more time to talk about their their picks. Uh, as our plan, as we did in our last segment, uh, Leah, you're going to get to do your picks first. So first, tell us uh, tell us what three shows are are making your your uh, nice list this year. Oh man, three. I hadn't written down those three. Let's see. Uh, so one of them <laughs> Breaking is, news, everybody. <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. Uh, it's The City at Your Feet is is my top pick, an audio show. Uh, but I'm also going to be looking at um, TM, which is a show that Laura is going to be talking about. And um, somebody help. <laughs> well, you have you have two other things you listen to. You can listen to a whole bunch, but remember, you got you got so you've got you've got uh, they're they're right there actually in the chat. So if you if oh, you they are, up, they're there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with bottom of the ocean. I think Excellent. that's my right. that's my third. So of those three, which one? Uh, so in the first segment, uh, Ed talked about bottom of the ocean. So uh, we've heard a lot about that so far. Uh, what uh, what of what you've got left of? Uh, t, uh, I guess t, uh, we've spoiled Laura's, but like uh, I guess Ooh, it's uh, city at your feet. Um, seems to be <laughs> what you're left to talk about. <laughs> but process of I suppose elimination. it is. There you go. All right. So The City at Your Feet, it was a part of the Tender Absence online offline festival. Uh, 
And this one remind us those. remind us what that was because that that was a whole thing for a minute there. It was uh, so this was a series of different artists and uh, social experimenters coming through to create audio pieces that were meant to be played uh, out in the universe. So all of these were shows that weren't meant to be played sitting at home. Uh, you were wandering about, interacting with the space or with people around you. Uh, but they were audio first. So some involved some amount of video or AR, but this was a primarily primarily audio uh, and spatial festival. And uh, this one, the one that I did, City at Your Feet, uh, took place simultaneously for a handful of people around the world uh, and asked us to follow the same series of prompts uh, as we explored the space around us. Um, and I loved it because in the same way that my moment, that the fleecing expanded my world from where I was sitting in a way that felt rich and beautiful, uh, this really focused me in while I was out in the world and let me focus in on very my very individual and specific experience of the world at large. Uh, it engaged a sense of play. It asked me to do things like make art out of things that I picked up on the street or to talk to my um, my guide, who was part of my experience, about what I was smelling and see if I could follow, follow those smells. Um, it, it was just a, a really nice, present, mindful experience. So, so that's my my top pick for twenty twenty one. Now, I know I know a few of you did some of these others uh, in in the tender absence. Did anyone else uh, Did anyone else play in in the city at your feet? That would be a no. Yeah, I was uh, shaking my head and I realized that's not helpful at yeah. this moment. <laughs> yeah, we don't use the video feature on here because God knows if we tried, it would probably break your head. We have not figured out this is an audio only medium yet. <laughs> yeah, we're trying. There is an option for us to use video, but when I did the other day, I was just like, nah, everyone could see how messy the room is. So I'm just not going to do that. Uh, that would just be you guys. I don't even want you y'all to see that. Um, okay, so I think we're going to hear a little bit about. It might be a little bit, just a little bit about some of these others in the the tender absence. Uh, so working our way back, let's see if I believe that it would was be me, Patrick. Yes, yes. So to kind of build up to the one I really want to dig into, my uh, other two kind of best shows and experiences I encountered this year was the first one was Goliath playing with reality. This is a VR experience, which I'm. 90% sure is free on Oculus Quest right now. Uh, and I, what I really just loved about that one was the it showcases the power of VR in the sense that you can really be put into the shoes of someone else, that you can really walk a mile in someone else's life and empathize and sympathize in ways that are frankly not possible in other mediums, even outside of the Immersiverse. Uh, additionally, I really loved Into the Mist. This was from a local Chicago company. They were doing a very kind of, um, uh, uh, um, you know, it was like one of these shows where you go to a special website and you click around and like you click on a door and that opens a Zoom window. Uh, very A sandbox Zoom experience there. I just coined the term. And what I really loved about it is that while it was an involved interface to a certain point, it was easy. And what was really great is that it was every room was full of an amazing 
art, like artists doing talented work. And it was full of encounters with musicians, cartoonists, dancers, and so much more. And you could just really tell that they were great and grateful and happy to be there with you creating art and you engaging with it. But ultimately, I think the best show and experience of the year for me was Shadow of the Run Presents Dreamwalkers. And this is from a Cleveland company where this piece is part of kind of a larger tapestry. A lot of their experiences are interconnected and I believe set or involve real historical things that are occurring or had occurred in Cleveland. But this one in particular dealt with a young woman grappling with the possibility that her family was involved with the famed Torso murders. And it was in a suburb, uh, I guess it would be called the suburb of Cleveland. And it was just in a, first and foremost, it was a really well-scoped out location and you went into several buildings and things like that. And I found it to be really rewarding and engrossing usage of found space. They really converted stuff and made it really awesome. But to the larger point, what I loved about this was that there were so many unique character interactions. You were a little bit uh, on rails in the sense of like, everyone had a badge uh, with a lanyard on and like, you know, it was, there was some iconography. So the actors kind of knew where to uh, push you around, but it was just such a wonderful environment to be in with. And these performers were top notch. And I think, and this is something I kind of casually bang the drum on when I'm typically on review crew and some of the other things is that I think sometimes and I'm guilty of it too. You know, we think of immersive stuff and we focus on things on the coasts a lot, but I think, you know, shadow of the run and there's so many other companies in the Midwest, down South, all over in between the coasts that are doing amazing regional work. And back to my moment in the sense of interconnecting all of these ideas is that I loved it because here is a company in a regional space doing amazing immersive work. And engaging the community they have and that those people will maybe move or they'll introduce others or when they travel to New York or LA, they'll see things and it'll just once again, bright broaden the conversation and the knowledge and all of the options that we have for people in the immersive verse and rant. <laughs> all right. I had, to, I had to click the button and unmute my mic. Um, <laughs> okay. I I I do love when there's people making work outside of, you know, the the big territories and we're able to shine a spotlight on that. So I'm really glad you chose uh, Shadow of the Run to talk about uh for for this run on the end. And in and, and big live work, right? I mean that's one of the things we're gonna be getting into, I think, in a bit. Uh, you know, is 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 what the what the online stuff has done. We've talked about it a little bit, but I think we're gonna get into that a lot more. Uh Continuing back up the chain, uh, Laura, it's uh, it's your turn. Yeah, this was a deliciously brutal exercise. Like to pick three, I'm so grateful because uh, I think it just shows how much work was truly exceptional, especially in this incredible time of hardship and, and change. Um, so this was incredibly difficult. I have in the published version of this, um, or the printed version of this, um, 
I definitely have a number of honorable mentions, but I narrowed it down to my three uh, favorite experiences were Hive Rise by the industry and the artist Lilith in partnership with Mocha, and which was a, a live uh, in-person performance art piece in Los Angeles. I really wish everyone could experience this. Um, it was described as a physical encounter with sound, and I'll leave that there. Uh, the other was The Adjacent Possible, which was by Joshua Michelle Ross, Adam Brick, and Adam Lucas. This was a uh, remote, interactive experience that was also um, really leveraged sound and co-creation through this fascinating design that was unlike anything else that I experienced all year. And then the, the last one that I'm actually going to go into some detail about is TM. This is by a Belgian theater company that I'm not going to uh, try to pronounce and would likely butcher, but the, <laughs> <laughs> the English, the rough English translation of the name is a play on real estate and it's, it's essentially feel estate. And um, this company has been around for quite some time. They're in their like 20th or 20 plus year existence. And they have a, a notable presence year after year at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So, um, but because we're across the pond, um, I've never experienced their work in person. And this show, TM, is a remote um, online show. And I wanted to, we've already touched on, both Leah and Patrick have touched a little bit about accessibility and universality, and this is a fantastic example of that. This show, for anyone who is doubting the power, the creativity, the innovation of digital theater, you need to do this show. This, I feel like, puts an end to any of the like ontological debates around like, is digital theater actually theater? It is powerful, transformative theater. And it is um, set up using the platform Oye, which is, uh, it, it is so brilliantly designed. And there were moments that where I wondered, is this a live performer? Is this pre-recorded? So there were moments of questioning what the liveness was or wasn't and how that um, kind of upended my sense of reality in a brilliant way. And similar to some other shows that we've talked about last year that are either phone-based or in-person based, um, like the Tele-Library or A Thousand Ways Part 1 and Part 2, there's a very unique personalized intimacy that's offered through the show uh, via these kind of exploratory, very, very often universal probings. But it's, it, it's, I think the show comes across as more simplistic than it is. It is absolutely brilliant design. It is rooted in a very complex existential theme. And I did not anticipate where this was going because the experience design is so focused. It's so concentrated. And I was incredibly moved by this experience in, in like 30, whatever it wound up being total 30 to 40 minutes. I have not stopped thinking about it. So TM is, I, I cannot recommend it more highly. And just, just remind me, uh, cause sadly someone texted me with some business stuff while we were talking, uh, that I had to deal with. Um, 
is this something that is still currently running or is it something that could come back around? No, or? it's something that could come back around. Okay. It's, they had, um, if I remember correctly, there was, um, this was offered much earlier in the year. I, I missed it. I didn't know about it. Catherine mm-hmm. Yu, our executive editor, wrote a capsule review for it. I want to say maybe in April. And then they just had a, um, they remounted it for two days earlier this month. I mean, just last week. Oh. Okay, so yeah. I'm I'm certainly hopeful that they will continue. And and from what I've read after doing the experience, I mean, their in-person live shows are are something to behold and, and again, very powerful. I just think that this one, it, it is, uh, it's on a different level and it's brilliant design that shows the unique power and innovation of remote theater. All right. You so know, I, I think there are out- live... Uh, sorry to butt in there, but um, I, I think that there are a bunch of uh, TMs scheduled for Hong Kong, and I gather that it's um, that each show is is uh, scheduled for different languages. So I'm not sure what the situation is there, but I see a few coming up. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, that means people should definitely be keeping an eye out for that one as as the year continues. Uh, meaning next year, <laughs> as next year begins, I guess is maybe the better way to say that. Uh, time, what even is it? Uh, which actually is almost a good segue into Kevin's s- section, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick to the rules for a quick second. Kevin, for your for your twenty twenty one selects, what do you, what do you got for us? So I had sort of three shows, I guess. Um, the first one was Run Club, which was another part of the Tender Absence uh, Festival. So that was. That's one. It's really hard to talk about. It was really uh, kind of a personal one for for me in terms of kind of running an immersive theater and what it brought together there. The second one I wanted to talk about was Arcane, which I've talked about a lot. There's uh, several review crews about this. Laura and I talked about this for about 50 minutes last week. Um, that was a great conversation. Hopefully, kind of touched on things about kind of where immersive theater is going in terms of some of these these kind of larger branded activations and how it can bring people into the wider medium. That's, that's kind of a topic I think we've been talking about today is this kind of accessibility and how it manifests in different forms, whether it's, it's legitimate like accessibility in terms of like physical restraints or kind of things like that, or if it's in terms of how to open immersive theater up to the wider population that may not find it. And I think arcane does that pretty wonderfully in terms of, the the show arcane league of legends and i think it brought a lot of people together that way and then does something cool with it the the actual performance of arcane is is a lot of fun um and i feel like probably some of these these kind of branded shows are are a little less fun um but this one is is great and they put a lot of care and work into it the actors are are great and um, keep everybody engaged really well. So I think if you want to know more, listen to the uh, longer podcast we did last week about that one. And then the final thing I want to talk about was, I guess it technically premiered in in 2020, but most people were talking about it this year, was Pursuit of the Assassin Artist, which is an online escape room. Um, I don't normally, I haven't liked a lot of the virtual kind of immersive theater that's been out there. But this one really, I think, struck me because it's so much of what makes it work is because it is virtual. You couldn't run an escape room like this in real life because it uses this kind of clever mechanic that I don't want to get too much into because it does it does spoil it. And it, it's pretty upfront about what it ends up being. But because of that, it, it 
it clicks and it's like it takes this this format and leans into being virtual and takes advantage of of what you can do in that environment. And I think in a way, like that's what site specific stuff does. It's what good immersive theater does. It like it takes advantage of the environment and the space you're in. And that's what Pursuit has an artist does. And it's it is a, a blast as an escape room. It's it's these clever puzzles and the way you have to solve them is is a little bit different because it's it's not a normal escape room. So um, and I think that's another one that because it's remote and it's escape room, it, a lot of people can go to it at the same time. I think um, Patrick and I did it together and we're located in L.A. and Chicago. So it's been a way to like bring more people into immersive theater again. So, yes, yeah, like one of the things that's been interesting, particularly with like this group. Uh, is to sort of watch how the ability to play together, whether it's um, going to some like assess an artist or when there's like a box set and there's like crossover stuff to be done. Like that seems to be kind of a rhythm that's starting to appear uh, just, just a little bit in just like these past couple of months or, or am I just imagining stuff? But I kind of feel like that is often the discussion when we're in review crew about like what are we all going to go do next together i think no i i I do think it is yeah it's i think it's a new it it is newer i think we've gotten to the point with the pandemic where i I think a lot of the online stuff that comes out today 12 15 or onward is uh for all those listening eight thousand years in the future uh is intentionally being done online or is intentionally for VR or web browsers or so on and so forth, where I feel like something that happened in the first part was, you know, it's like we, we had to make a hard pivot into the online space. Like, you know, we got to try to find a way to pay a few people, get them through these really hard, grueling months at the start. But now I feel like with pursuit of the assassin artist and some of these other ones is that, they came in a time where, you know, people, you know, there was the brave pioneers who figured things out, who took risks and things like that. But now a lot of the stuff is being intentionally designed where what Kevin said is that, you know, we're, how can we use this medium to our advantage? So I think, no, it's your point. You know, it's, it's, I think we're, we're in the kind of golden age of potentially of the online stuff. We're right there too. We're, it's like, because right now I even checked, like you, we could all right after this, in theory, book a room and do the assassin artist together right now. And we all are in five different locations, three different states, you know? Yeah, it's it's kind of impressive what's possible to do and that there are enough people who've figured out sort of like the kind of magic formula that makes that makes the actual collaboration at a distance interesting because i I gotta admit like the prospect of being on anything that resembles a zoom call (laughs) like there's nothing about that process that i enjoy it is it is pure stress from the moment i get the link until the thing is closed usually because it is causing some kind of you know technical guffaw so when the piece of work is actually compelling enough that i sort of forget that we're on a zoom call uh, and can just play when, when, when the Chrome disappears and it's just connecting with people, that's, that's a high degree of magic. I don't know if you guys get like the same thing when it comes to these telecommunications platforms. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why some of the ones that we called out tonight were really such standouts. Uh, the Chrome goes away. I like it. That's good, Noah. And not just that the Chrome goes away or not that these were just sort of, um, not that anyone else is using this language. These are my words, but like, you know, that these are kind of like placeholders that as Kevin's pointing out about pursuit, pursuit of the assassin artist, that these are leveraging remote platforms uh, and technology in ways that you cannot experience that in person. The the uh, the adjacent possible and TM and other shows that we covered last year, like Shane Easton's Out There, they don't they they have been so beautifully designed to leverage these technologies and these platforms in ways that even though I love in person, in ways that in person cannot. And so it doesn't feel like it's a, it's, um, you know, this sort of, what's the word that I want? Like, you know, that it's just kind of a second best um, option. These different creators and companies are finding ways to craft with these technologies in mind. Um, another one was the sleepover, because Noah, I know you really loved that. And I did too. Like the, they're utilizing these platforms and technologies in ways that in-person can't match. And I think too, it's it's not even about like high end technology. Some it's it's some of it's pretty simple. It's just right. like a, a camera and a thing. Even even Run Club, the one I kind of mentioned a, a few minutes ago, that couldn't exist in a in a normal kind of immersive format because it's it's so much about having someone almost talking in your head as you're running. And it's that's just that's a that's a Zoom call that you're listening to on headphones as you as you walk or run around your your neighborhood. And I think it's there's simple but effective ways to really take advantage of the technology and the connection available now through these remote shows that people have started to, to figure out and embrace in a way that enhances the show rather than just trying to get something out there. Yep. Yeah. It makes me think about how, you know, there's all this fervor and craze about, you know, the metaverse and how that's going to be in like all of our, our digital lives and our digital selves. And, I hadn't really been thinking about the way these shows are figuring out how to use this rather clunky technology to still make us feel connected as being sort of like the the precursor for whatever that's going to be, you know, like I, I, I don't trust that whatever, you know, companies think this, you know, web 3.0 I think we're going to jump right to web 4.0 because web 3.0 seems to have like instantly sold out and gotten, gotten uh, co-opted by Nike before it could even begin. Um, but like this, this whole movement is it's predicated on the idea that we will find a additional depth of connection uh, beyond what we already have using the online tools. And I think that only winds up happening if we have very clever, creative people finding ways to create connection that overcomes the technology, uh, that, that leverages in ways that aren't just about um, creating extractive relationships, you know, between everybody, just constant demands on everyone's time and attention. Right. And that's, I think in some ways, that's something we've talked about a lot about on review crew is kind of the thought behind something. And if people are just like, Hey, let's, let's do something with an NFT or the metaverse or whatever, like that's going to be 
silly or dumb, but you can take like people that are putting thought into how these shows function with these mediums, whether it's it's Zoom or just like a, a camera that's that's kind of feeding into a platform, or I guess eventually like the metaverse. Like I think the thought behind it is is really what makes these these shows work at all. And yeah, hopefully we have people aiming higher than just like trying out new technology to see what happens. There's there's a quote running around from Keanu who's you know having his having a moment again. And it it basically boils down to, I wish I could pull it up right in front of me. I don't think I retweeted it. Uh, it's essentially just, you know, art's meant to be experienced, not owned. And like all of the hype right now is about, you know, owning art, which, you know, I, I don't begrudge any of the digital artists, particularly in the digital artists we know or who like work in our space or who cross over with us, folks we've had on the show. You know, like some of them are are playing that NFT space and they're they're releasing things. And I think it's like, you know, paying off college debt and funding their kids college. And I'm I'm all for that. Um, but there's still this level to it of like, you know, art is meant to be experienced. Culture is something that happens that we're inside of and happens between us. It's it's not something you can just get a digital file of and say, I now own culture. Um, you can, you can have contributed to the creation of it, <laughs> you know, even after the fact, but you, yeah, the experience thing is still what matters the most. And I think a great example of, of, uh, what we're trying to highlight here and, and Kevin pointing out specifically, like some of this is not even about when we refer to technology, it doesn't even necessarily mean new technology. I will never stop being a proponent of these phone-based experiences. I have had some of the most incredible, very connected moments, whether Mm. it was the tell library, the program, a thousand ways. I mean, these are, and, and Candlehouse Collective was, I mean, that is their model is phone-based immersive theater. Um, before the pandemic, and obviously now it's um, they've been churning out a lot of wonderful work. And so I, I just think that um, I think what we're all saying and distilling down to is, again, around the intentionality and the experience design and what are the goals. And I mean, I, I fully agree, agree with Keanu that um, and with what you're saying, no, of course, it's not just that the commercialization is uh, overall a negative thing. Of course not. But ultimately yes what what is the messaging why tell the story who is the story for and how are you going to use the methodologies around telling that story to truly deliver on it all right well we've got some more conversations to have uh, before the year ends but right now uh this is going to be the end of this segment uh I want to thank you all for for hopping in tonight and uh, and for going through the the harrowing process of winnowing down your choices. Uh, it uh, I always find it clarifies the mind. Uh, for me, it definitely did that, and uh, you'll all get to hear the results of that in a moment. Uh, Catherine and I recorded that segment last night. Uh, but again, Leah, Kevin, Patrick, Laura, thank you all so much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Always a pleasure. Yay. Well, 
Catherine, we've reached oh. the end of the the show, and now's now's my turn. Oh, fancy that! So, Noah, what was your <laughs> top immersive moment of the year, twenty twenty one? So, like like a lot of immersive moments in twenty twenty one, this one was at home on my floor and uh with me uh, strapped into an oculus uh, okay but, i was wondering uh, where that was going <laughs> <laughs> but uh but, but in this particular case um this was uh this 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 is something that i wouldn't have actually expected which is the moment i've selected for this year as as my highlight um is from a 360 video which traditionally aren't my jam, but David Rapp's Monte Gelato, which is this incredible collage piece uh, that takes all of this film footage, pretty much almost almost a century's worth of film footage, just shy of a century's worth of film footage, of this famed waterfall outside Rome that's been the backdrop for tons of movies uh, in Italy. And I think, yeah, even internationally, but it's a very popular spot. And they create this collage of the location. Um, it's, it's unlike anything I had seen before. I, I hope it almost becomes a genre in of itself, but there was just something about watching it all come together and feeling like I was experiencing time travel mixed with like spatial projection it was purely magical and in so many ways it was very simple but precise this is all regular 2d film uh that's that's been just made over all these years and just the editor's eye the collage artist's eye um being used to create a space out of out of all this material that already already exists um just just wondrous to watch it come together and it produced this feeling of awe in me both the awe of of nature and the awe uh being in awe of human creativity and human ingenuity um all at once and so yeah that's my moment for this year um, realize, realizing what's going on, realizing that particularly, I guess it's very specifically, uh, a bit of the collage would happen and then it would stay there. And then another bit of the collage Ooh. would happen in another spot okay. and then it kind so of builds transitioning up. Transitioning back kind of like, like you as might, time you, is like reverberating. Yeah. You might see like 10, like it's all laid out in front of you, but it's like, imagine, imagine you took like Imagine you had like 50 years worth of 360 photos of the room you're in right now. And they're like, they're just pe- bits and pieces. So mm-hmm. like you look just to the left and you see 50 years ago, you look to the right, you see yesterday, you look right in front of you. It's 10 years ago. Are they like and superimposed on top of each other? So you get a little that, like, bit, a almost little bit. like a, you know, yeah, definitely collage montage, uh, mm-hmm. kind of feeling. Absolutely. Exactly mm-hmm. that. So then, and then something else might kind of pop in and like change and it's just, it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. It's unlike anything. See, I'm, it took it took like four minutes to like get get to the exact point. <laughs> Shocker! It's me. I'm also doing this kind of on the fly. So that was my moment. 
realizing realizing that that was what was happening in front of me and being like oh my goodness i can't believe it i can't believe they went for it um so there great well noah so that was your top immersive moment Mm -hmm. what about your top three shows or experiences that you saw in 2021 so i'm gonna give you the option of telling me which one to wax poetic on because okay. I can't make up my mind. Okay. And we're recording this before we recorded the second segment or the first segment, depending on how we air them. So don't know if one of these is going to come up. There's yeah, a, it's there's not like a, a movie. It's all out of order. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my top three uh, that I had to pick for the year, in in, in no order, right? Uh, or in, in, yeah, in no order. Arcane, uh, the the League of Legends experience from Secret Cinema. Uh, Arcane Enter the Undercity is the technical name. Uh, Kusunda, which is a VR documentary uh, that made its debut in Tribeca, that is about a uh, a language that is that is o- almost gone, uh, and it uh, uses volumetric video and game asset um, storytelling, kind of blended together in a way that's that's absolutely lovely to give you an experience of this, of this endangered language uh, and the lives of the folks who, uh, who speak it. Uh, and then uh, creep the, uh, the 2021 edition of creep, uh, which uh, hollow house is, I believe like the, the unofficial subtitle of it. Um, that's part of, and it's part of uh, the spooky season mainstay here in LA and those are the three, those are the three things that I, for entirely different reasons, that I <laughs> that I cherish the most uh, from this year. Oh so, man, <laughs> you know, uh, having listened to Ed's and Blake's selections as well as yours, I I'm always amazed at like the diversity of stuff that ends up under this immersive umbrella because we've got things that are live and in person, we've got. VR that you do at home. We've got online escape rooms. We've got telephone experiences. Oh, man. And, um, you know, I feel like we have waxed poetic quite often about Arcane fairly we've recently. Done, we've done like, a, I think we've done almost two hours on Arcane right. of late. <laughs> but I guess looking back, now that it's been several weeks, why does this edition of Creep stand out to you? Not that like the other editions of Creep weren't also special, but why this one for 2021? Well, and like, and I almost want to cheat and like mash Creep up with the I I know what you did last summer activation that they did in the middle of the run, and I got lucky enough to do both. But for me, the, the big thing is just how they transformed the space they were in. Um. Every every creep up until this one, it's always been they've always been it's such a game company, right? Not a game company, but like a company that is a game. Uh J, JFI, Just Fix It Productions. Like they've got this cast they've been working with for a very long time, uh, all of whom are are kind of fearless and, and up for all kinds of shenanigans. And they they work this kind of scary, sexy, creepy. It's in the name, creep vibe. But oftentimes, as ingenious as they've been 
with how they've used space. It, the previous years, you know, there's been it's been threadbare. You know, they have a really good visual eye, but they wouldn't necessarily have the resources always to to take it all to the like way. make it as dense or textured as they would want to. Exactly, mm. and this year they did it. They they grabbed uh, Elizabeth Jarrett and uh, Stephanie Perdita, I believe. Uh, I'm I'm going off memory, so Stephanie, if I got your name last name wrong, I'm <laughs> so sorry. Uh, I'm I'm remembering six Stephanie's last names right now. Um, who had worked with uh, Scott Exposition Co. on the current incarnation of the Nest, and the piece was set up at. Uh, the three clubs, which is a bar and uh, kind of nightclub, like lounge nightclub venue here in Los Angeles that has undergone its own, the the performance space side has undergone its own transformation a number of times over the past few years. And I just remember being in the space. You can hear it on the episode. Uh, actually, I don't think I did this moment, but we did, we did an episode where I, I visited before they did the show and just walking in and seeing how much they had thoroughly transformed that space. And creating a whole, just this incredible set, this incredible place. Um, it was, you know, crawling up onto the walls, uh, up off, off the walls onto the ceiling. Like just like this, this, this kind of dimensional vortex had, had occurred inside this performance space that I knew really well. And that transformation and the transformation that they they put things through when they reskinned it a couple of weeks into the show to do this this activation for this very campy silly um uh, Amazon Prime series which I wound up watching despite the fact that like <laughs> Writing was all over the place, but the activation I loved so much that I was like oh, I'm going to watch the show now. Um and it was just it was just it was so nice to see like Everyone, everyone back on their on their BS, as we like to say, but to see that they had stepped up the game and that they had uh, taken a step forward in their craft, that that's what got me excited uh, and and got me hopeful about where we stand as a movement, as an industry that even with this incredibly hard two years we've all endured that we can endure that we can go forward that very solid work can be made and indeed that artists and teams can take the the next step forward in what they're doing and and all, all of that. And just, it was fun. <laughs> it was just fun. You know, at the end of the day, that's, that's a big part. Was it fun? Was it deep? Eh, no. <laughs> Cassandra's deep, you know? Um, but like what, what Creep and Arcane have together is that they were fun. Mm-hmm. And you need, you need both, right? And so like of these four, right? You know, there's this this mix of profundity in Cassandra and and some profundity in Monte Gelato in like a, in an art sense, and then with Creep and Arcane, it's just just the craft and the joy of the craft. And and at the end of the day, if I didn't find joy in this craft, I would walk I would walk away. I would walk away. So they've kept me in for. <laughs> 
I mean, for as long as I can keep doing it. I mean, let's be so truthful here. No one's actually trying to pull you out. Oh, <laughs> uh, the world sometimes seems to not pull oh. so much as push. You know, okay, just, okay. just kind of kind of putting well, a, it sounds putting like, a foot on on my rear. <laughs> it sounds like JFI uh, still has access to that space, right? Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a big part of it, right? And one of the reasons why they were able to do this is kind of like like what uh, Ed was talking about with Andrew, like having mm-hmm. a having a home base in a space. Um, JFI has that home base in space uh, in the form of the Ghost Light, uh, where they where they stage creep this year, and I think that's awesome. going to be true going forward. Like they're they're bringing shows back, and they're what their plan was and i don't know how this is if it's shaping up or whatnot but their plan was to you know invite other creators into the space to use it and to do runs in there so um things i mean the world is weird right now so who knows how that plan's gonna shake out but i know Mm -hmm. that's the that's the game well then to resilience and more art in 2022 indeed Catherine. thanks thank you noah happy new year all right i want to thank the whole crew for uh going through this whole process with us that would be patrick and kevin and laura and leah and blake and edward and of course Catherine. uh we'll you know, how can we forget Catherine? We didn't. That's how we just didn't forget Catherine. Um, I want to thank you all for uh, spending uh, the year with us. We got one more episode coming out next week. We are on publishing hiatus. Other than that, it's going to be a kind of a year end episode. Uh, for those of you who uh, have made plans uh, to attend the next stage uh, summit and mini festival in January, uh, do check your email from uh, Eventbrite. Uh, we sent out a notification to everybody. Uh, we are monitoring the Omicron situation intensely right now. I'm recording this on December 24th. There have been a lot of flights canceled. CES has had major speakers pull out. Uh, just for transparency's sake, we haven't had, other than a couple of weeks ago when we had uh, Sarah Ellis of the Royal Shakespeare Company uh, have to bow out, uh, and we also had um, uh, Hamish of uh, Department uh, bow out, uh, we haven't had any other speakers uh, that were announced bow out. We did have someone who was unannounced. Uh, uh, we, were, we were about to announce that they, they stepped out of the, the box uh, this week. We're monitoring really closely. We're going to have... Uh, we have kind of a decision point on Monday, uh, just so you know, and uh, we'll we'll give everyone a big status update then. Um, I this week has made me realize how much I want to produce this event and how much I want to produce this event uh, and make it good. Um, and if Omicron is going to keep us from being able to present the production we want to present to you uh, and convene the community the way we want to convene it, uh, then we'll take the steps to make sure that we can do this right. That's always a concern. So those notifications are up. That's also up on the website. If you want to check out uh, experiencethenextstage.com. Um, 
it's it, it really is a matter of when when something looks like it's being taken away from you uh as this has been taken away from us before uh you 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 understand the value of it and uh it is very important to me that we convene the community it's also very important to me that we convene the community in a manner that is safe and sane you know like fireworks <laughs> anyway um keep an eye out uh for an update on that if if you're 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 part of that uh that whole crew um again one more episode uh we will have a break uh the following week we we will not be recording anything uh, we may have a we'll have we'll have some kind of episode the week following that uh but we are we are on a publishing hiatus uh for all of next week because one way or another uh no matter what uh i i, I need the time so um it's been a very trying year all right um we we give the shout outs to all the patreon backers we're going to do it one more time uh thank thanks everybody um literally have a roof over my head because of you people uh from whether you're given a dollar a month uh or you're some of these folks who i'm going to name again because uh they're the bedrock of what we do that's ari hersten Brittany, deborah robinson elaine jay bushman they're they're from the start jerome joseph gentis david basic lonnie hands on lonnie i hope camp christmas is going amazingly mark baltazar samuel mystery Sydney Guillory, want to catch up in Discord soon, and Jan Ludman. Thank you all. Um, yeah, probably more next week. Uh, there's, there's, uh, got another year in front of us, and uh, yeah, that's all I'll say for now. Until next time, I'm Noah Nelson, and I'll see you at the show. <laughs>